you. Paul began this chapter with uh, what he referred to as a vision. He didn't know if it was in the flesh or out of the flesh, but he was caught up into the third heaven, into the very presence of God. And um, what an amazing view the Lord gave him of heaven. And uh, it, it was so amazing that he said there were it was indescribable. There, were, there weren't even words that he could use to relay what he was hearing, let alone what he was seeing. And, and so uh, because of all that God had shown Paul in this vision and prior visions he had given Paul, uh, he, he said that a messenger of Satan was sent to uh, be a thorn in his flesh. And, you know, we talked about it last week. Many speculations about what this thorn in the flesh is, and nobody really knows because the Scripture doesn't tell us specifically what the thorn is. But what we do know is that this was allowed to be in Paul's life in order to keep him from being prideful in all that God was showing him in these visions, all that God was doing through his uh, life and ministry. And, and so this buffeting agent of Satan was allowed to come in and to uh, come against Paul uh, to keep his life in check. And, and so what we learn from that is that there are trials that come with responsibility. As the Lord begins to use us, we can, we can expect trials to come. And, um, and, and so knowing that, we know that we don't have to be overwhelmed when they come, but we can be encouraged to press through the adversity and, in order to experience all that God has for our life. And so we're encouraged to press on. And so he, he boasted about this vision, and he continues with this thought in verse 11. He says, I have become a fool in boasting, but you have compelled me. Now, since chapter 10 of this, this book, uh, Paul really felt like he was forced to move into this uh, idea of bragging about what the Lord had done through him and and shown him and what he had experienced as an apostle and and so uh he, he felt like they had compelled him to to enter into this boasting and and so he he's almost apologizing for writing so much about himself i mean uh, if you know the apostle paul through his writings you know that he would much rather speak about jesus or or write about Jesus. In fact, when he came to the Corinthian church, we know back in his first letter in chapter 2, he said, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquent speech or superiority. I came to preach Christ and Him crucified. That That is what he enjoyed doing. That's what he, he wanted to do with them was to preach Christ. And, and so um, it, it's important for us to understand this, that Paul was entering into this seeming uh, seemingly boastful statements as an example to the Corinthians. Now, for these three chapters, he's he's been combating this idea of these um, super apostles that had come on the scene, and 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 so when when we look at him boasting, we can't say, okay, so it's okay for us to brag because now we have a scriptural reason. Paul did it. Uh, it, it's not an excuse for us to talk about ourselves and how wonderful we are. Remember, the Corinthians were so mystified by these 
uh, false apostles that had come on the scene that that were really kind of self-inflated. They were they were building themselves up and talking about their own abilities and and what what made them superior to Paul and his ministry and 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 so he's reminding them that if if it comes to boasting, I have way more to say than these super apostles. And and that's the whole reason he was using this comparison. Continuing on in verse 11, he says, For I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing I was behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to the other churches except that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me this wrong. And, and so he, he talks about um, the fact that, that his life and the testimony of the ministry that he had with them had the marks of an apostle. There, there, was, there was the fruit of a, an apostle's ministry taking place while Paul was with the Corinthian believers, that um, the, the miracles and the the uh, supernatural things that the Lord was doing through Paul was evidence that the Lord had called him as an apostle. And, and so they had witnessed this. There was, there was evidence in his life. And so he, he showed them through these boastful statements that these false apostles had nothing on him. And, and so he says here, I have become a fool in this boasting but you, Corinthians, you've compelled me to do this because they were so easily drawn off course by these false teachers. Paul says, you compelled me to have to enter into this folly or this foolishness. Now, I love what we see in Paul's heart. Even while he's boasting, he does it with humility. He says, for, for in nothing I was behind the most eminent or the, the super apostles, if you have one of the newer translations. He says, though I am nothing. What a great, great lesson for those who would aspire to be in leadership within the church or even in the business world. Even though God may have gifted me to lead and even though the qualifications he's deposited into my life exceed those of the super apostles, Paul says. I am nothing. In and of myself, I'm nothing. And folks, I'll just tell you, this, this is the quality that I look for when I'm looking for leaders to serve in, in ministry here at our church. I'm looking for people who aren't hung up on themselves, that aren't self-inflated and, and, and really have this high uh, esteem of their own abilities and their own charisma. And that I'm looking for people who really know that if anything good happens, it's because of the Lord, that, that in and of our, ourselves we are nothing. And, and so it's all about God's gifts and callings and His equipping that, that gives us the ability to do anything that's really successful for the kingdom of God. And, and so an honest opinion of self is, is one of those necessities to keep from being puffed up when God does use your life. Because, I mean, the, the reality is, is God wants to use your life 
for way greater things than you could even imagine. He wants to do things that are way beyond your own ability or your own capacity to do. And, and he does that so that he will be glorified. And, and so we have to have a proper opinion of self. And, and this, this is a, a, an understanding that we must have in order to lead the way Jesus would desire us to lead. You know, I, I think there are many modern day ministers that have fallen into the trap of, of seeking to be served, that, that somehow they, they have elevated above the crowd and now, you know, they deserve people's admiration and uh, service to them. You know, there's a term that, that's floated around Christendom for some, some time now, and uh, it, it's the term reverend, or the very reverend, or the right reverend, or the most reverend, uh, Joe, pastor, so-and-so. And it's kind of an interesting title when you think about it. You know, throughout church history, there's been these different levels of clergy. There's uh, pastors, there's bishops, there's archbishops. And, you know, then, I mean, you can even get to the Holy Father. Wow, you know. it. But all of this is like anti-biblical, really. It, it, it really is the opposite of what the Scripture teaches about what it means to be a leader. I looked up reverent. In, in Webster's Dictionary, and it says, worthy to be revered, entitled to reverence. And I think, wow, <laughs> that's an interesting thing. I can remember when I, I, I went uh, on with the sheriff department in 1991 as a chaplain. And uh, the first business card they gave me, it said the Reverend Gary Malkus, sheriff chaplain. And I looked at it, and, and the guy that was the coordinator for our chaplain corps, I said, uh, you don't know me very well, do you? He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm not very reverent. And I, I don't think I can actually hand this card out because it just goes against everything in me. And he said, well, we call all of our chaplains reverent. I said, well, I mean, I want to serve as a chaplain, but I, I just don't think I could actually hand this card out. I mean, if you want to give them to me, I'll put them in a closet, but I, I don't think I could hand them out. And so he made me some different cards, which was all cool. But but I go to these chaplain conferences every year, and, and chaplains from around the world come to this, and, and so I know all these guys, and they're so into titles and status, and, you know, you get emails from these guys, and there's like three pages of, you know, everything that they are worthy of at, after their name, and, you know, it's the the very most reverend chaplain. I'm just like, get over yourself. Mercy. The, the truth is, is that we are all equal in God's eyes. We might have different gifts and different callings, and God uses us for different things, but, but Paul knew that, that he wasn't superior to these people because he was an apostle. In fact, he said, I'm nothing. In and of myself, I'm nothing. I mean, if, if you really want to be great, and that's kind of the desire of your heart, Jesus has a great, great bit of instruction on this in, in Mark chapter 9, verse 33 and 35. He says, then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what, what was it to you, or what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? 
But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And so picture the disciples. I mean, they're walking along the road. They have Jesus right next to them, and they're they're talking about their own greatness. They're saying, "Well, I'm I'm you know I'm greater than you, and I'm way better than you, and I'm 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 the greatest. You're you're not the greatest." And they're having this argument in front of Jesus, who is the greatest. And so they get there, and he says, "Okay, guys, let's have a class. If you desire greatness." then you need to be less than the others. Now, you got to imagine the disciples looking at that answer and saying, huh? <laughs> That's, that is the opposite of our human nature. Our human nature wants to rise above to be great. We want to be promoted into greatness. We want to have greater title, greater authority. That's our human nature. And Jesus is saying, well, in the kingdom of God, it's the opposite. If you want to be great you become less than and you serve more. That's greatness in the kingdom of God. And, and so Jesus' answer goes against our nature. And, and so, folks, we have to understand that we all have equal status and standing in Christ. God doesn't hear my prayer better because I'm your pastor than he hears yours. We all have equal standing. Now, there there is a... A, a scriptural reason that you would call for the elders of the church if you're sick and have them pray the prayer of faith. Now, it isn't because God hears their prayers better than you. It's because the elders have a tested faith. They have maturity in the Lord, and and so they can pray the prayer of faith. They've, they've done it before. It has nothing to do with stature or standing. It has all to do with proven faith. And and so in in status, we're all equal. I'm nothing, you're nothing, in, in our own strength we're nothing, we're equal in Christ, we're strengthened by the same power to be equipped to do what it is God has called us to do. And, and so there's no hierarchy, there's only calling and equipping. And, and so it's a good reminder to, to keep in the forefront of our minds that, that we're nothing apart from Christ. Don't get hung up on yourself because people are all of a sudden recognizing your gifts or calling, uh, don't, don't start thinking, wow, you know, I am pretty cool. They're lucky to have me because that's a quick trip down. God knows how to humble a person too. So if, if you get on a pedestal, the problem is the pedestal can get kicked out from underneath you. So stay off pedestals. All right, so he goes on in verse 14. Now for the third time, I'm ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you. For I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for their parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Now, he, he was preparing to come to them for a third time. The first time Paul came to Corinth, he spent 18 months with them. We see that in Acts chapter 18. He had another painful visit where uh, between the two letters that he wrote that he, that he came to them. And so now he's saying, I'm preparing to come a third time. Now, I love how 
the, the Scripture gives us a glimpse into the heart of the Apostle Paul. And, and, and so we can, we can draw so much applicable truth for our own life looking at, at how God worked in him. Paul says, uh, or he's saying here that he's coming not expecting to get anything from them. He says, I don't seek yours or, or your stuff. I don't, I'm not coming to you so I can take anything from you. I seek you, and and I seek to build you up and to encourage you and to pour into you. His desire was to spend time in fellowship with these young believers, uh, spending time teaching and encouraging and pouring into them so that they could be strengthened in their their Christian life. And and so what a what a great lesson for us in the way that we deal with the fellowship of believers. Our times of fellowship when we gather together should be based on this same principle. We, we should be seeking to spend time together to build one another up. And so often people come to church with the idea of, you know, what is, what is this church going to do for me? I mean, what, what is it that I'm going to get out of the people of this church? And, and how are they going to minister to me? And and they come and they're disappointed and they say, you know, I came there and I was looking for somebody to minister to me and and man, it was crickets. Nobody even paid attention to me. And and they they leave discouraged. You know, that's a backwards approach to why we gather in fellowship. I mean, there are those times when we need people to encourage and build us up, and I'm not I'm not negating that. But the purpose that we come is so that we can use our gifts to pour into other people. And, and so that we can allow the Lord to use us to encourage and build up. And so if, if our desire when we gather is for each of us to be used by God to build up, encourage, and, and move others along in their faith, there's going to be very few people that would leave disappointed. And, and they're going to be built up as you pour into other people. It is one of the most encouraging ways to live your life. And and so in in the Thessalonian church, Paul said this in First Thessalonians five eleven, and I'll read it from the Amplified version. It says, "Therefore encourage, or admonish, or exhort one another, and edify, strengthen, and build up one another, just as you were doing." And and so as you come together, admonish, exhort, strengthen, build up one another in the faith. And and so we we or to seek to give. Now this, this whole idea that, that Paul presents here uh, about the parents storing up for the kids instead of the kids for the parents, I always struggle with this when I come to teach it because I, I want my parents to hear it because I want them to store up gold for me, but then I'm afraid my kids are going to listen to this on the Internet and then I'm going to be like stuck having to store up for them. So I'm just going to skip it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> The idea, <laughs> the idea, Paul is, is saying that, that he was a spiritual parent to the Corinthian believers. He, he was the one who led them into faith in Christ. And, and so kind of like in that parental role, he uses this analogy of him storing up for them to be able to pour in to them instead of wanting to take from them. 
And, and it's a, a valuable lessons on matters of the heart for, for anyone who's seeking to be uh, used in a leadership capacity. I think this is pastoral training 101. You, you seek to serve and not to be served. We're to have a heart to, seize God, to see God's best and His blessing take place in the people that He surrounds us with and that He's entrusted into our lives as leaders. And, and we're not to lord our position over people. The Apostle Paul's a, a great role model in this in that and, and, and he's only a faint shadow of what Jesus modeled for us in his life. The one who, who could be superior came as a servant. And, and so Paul's desire was to be completely spent of himself, meaning 100% of his life given over to the preaching of the gospel and to the ministry to others. He was willing to give all that he had so that the gospel message could go forth unhindered. That, that message that, that was so valuable to him to preach Christ and, and to preach the fact that Jesus died on the cross so that, that men could be saved, that the blood that Jesus shed while he was on the cross was that perfect blood, the only blood that, that could cleanse a man from his sin was done when Jesus went to the cross. And, and so Paul knew that this message was a message that could bring hope and deliverance and, and freedom to people who were in bondage to sin. And so he gave all he had so this message could go forth and change people. He, he had watched this take place on so many people as they received the gospel message and, and were born again and, and their lives were changed. And so Paul was again, concerned about them being led away from this message. These false teachers, remember, the whole reason he's saying this is because false teachers had come on the scene, and, and he was so concerned about them being drawn away to a false message. And, and so he goes on to emphasize the point. Verse 16, he says, Be that as it may, I did not burden you, nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Now, now, Paul isn't saying that, that he was tricking them into the kingdom. This is another uh, point where Paul is using divine sarcasm. He's, he's making it more like, really? I, I came to you with craftiness? Because he goes on, he says, did I take advantage of you by, by any of those whom I sent to you? I, I urged Titus and I, I sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not... Uh, walk the, in the same steps. And, and so, uh, again, he didn't want to burden them. He, as in the previous chapters, he, he presents this, uh, this folly about being caught up or caught by cunningness. And he reminds them that neither he nor the men he traveled with came to them begging for anything. They didn't try to extract anything from the believers in Corinth. He, he came there, and, and his, the guys he sent there all came with a heart to build them up so that their lives would be strengthened. They had a heart to encourage the Corinthian believers and to be uh, a blessing to them, and, and so they would understand the blessings of Christ for their own lives and to be free from the grip of sin. Much like he says in verse 19, he says again, Do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? 
we speak before God in Christ, but we, we do all things, beloved, for your edification. So you, you think we're saying all of this just to defend ourselves? That isn't it at all. We, we tell you this as Christ's servants. We know that God is listening to what we're saying. We, we do this for your edification. That's the whole purpose Paul entered into this whole bragging dialogue was so that they could be built up in their faith. One of the, the reasons for, for him staying in contact with the Corinthians after he left the first time was so that they could be built up and encouraged to press on in their faith and not to go back into their sinful choices. Now, if he were speaking to you today or me, he would have that same desire, that we would be built up and encouraged to press on in our faith and not be distracted by the things around us. Now, so many people are like these Corinthians. They, they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, but then they just kind of get caught up in the world again, and they never really grow past being saved. And, and so they struggle constantly instead of pressing forward to the things that God has in store for their lives. And, and so um, to encourage them to stand strong that, that he may find them solid in their faith, Paul is, is encouraging them. And he finishes the chapter with this in verse 20. He says, For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I wish, but that I shall, that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of uncleanness, fornication, lewdness, which they have practiced. So he says, you know, I'm afraid that when I come to visit, this third visit, that I'm not going to like what I find because you've allowed sin to come back into your midst. And you're not going to like my response to it. Remember, Paul's not afraid to uh, exercise discipline if necessary. And, and so because these young believers had been drawn away from the simplicity of the, the teaching that Paul had left with them, that they had been derailed by the, this false teaching their focus had shifted from God's work in their lives to their own ability to be righteous. Remember, the, the message these guys were bringing is that there was a self-righteousness and, and you know, out of your own goodness you could appease God and such and trying to bring the law back into play. And, and, and so um, when, whenever you get your eyes off of the simplicity of the message, it brings sin back into your midst. And Folks, we have to understand this. It's the same for us today. We're no different than the Corinthians. Whenever we take our focus off Jesus and pursuing Him with our life, we begin to slide back into our old nature. You know, many, many, many years ago, when I was a Boy Scout, I can't even tell you what year it was. It was a long time ago. That's all I can tell you. We had what what I think was called a scoutorama, and and I remember going to this, and they had this event because there was always this competition going on, and they had this event called the grease pole climb. 
And they had all these poles lined up with grease all over them. It was a nasty, funky thing. I never did it because I just thought it was gross. But I watched it, and I watched these guys, and they would have a guy on each team, you know, and, and they would have to climb to the top of this grease pole. And, you know, as long as you're, you're moving up the pole and you're gripping and you're moving and you're moving, uh, you can actually move up. But when you get tired and you just try to rest, you slide right back down to the bottom again. And I watched guys try to just grip it as hard as they can, wrap their legs around it, didn't matter. Once they stopped, it was down to the bottom. Now thinking about that, I think, you know, that is actually a description of the Christian life. I mean, if, if we're not moving forward in our Christian life, we're, we're sliding backwards. You, you don't just plateau at some point and, and you can just kind of cruise from then on and you feel like, you know what, I've arrived, I'm there, I'm everything God wants me to be and I'm cool. As soon as you say that and you stop, it's a quick trip down. And, and so Paul was willing to confront the sin that, that was still remaining in these uh, young believers' lives. He tells them how much he cares for them. I like that about Paul's confrontation style. He, he did it with grace and, and he you know encourages them before he delivers the admonishment. And, and he does it with this motive of love. But, but he does deal with the sin that has crept back in. And he says, I'm, I'm afraid when I get there, I'm going to find these contentions. Now remember, contentions weren't a new thing for the Corinthian church. It's not a new thing for the church today, by the way. There's still contentions. Uh, but the, the Corinthians, remember, they had divisions. They were aligning themselves with, with personality. Some were of Paul, some were of Apollo, some were of Peter. And, and, and they were fighting amongst themselves. They, they had lawsuits that were happening among the, the believers, suing believer. And, and so Paul had to, to warn them about that in the first letter. And, and so he, he's afraid contentions are still happening in their midst. Jealousies. Jealousy is a very self-centered choice. It's, it's when we see the blessing that is happening in somebody else's life and we can't rejoice in the fact that they're being blessed, we say, I deserve that. <laughs> How come I didn't get what they got? I mean, I, if we're all equal to God, why is that person getting more blessing than I'm getting? And, and that spirit of jealousy, it's an ugly, ugly thing when, when you see it play out. And then he says outbursts of wrath or anger. And, and this, this really speaks of the person who not just gets mad sometimes, but the person who gets out of control and just kind of rages. And, you know, I, I'll just tell you this. If, if you're out of control, that, that should be an indicator for you. The Scripture tells us that if, if we want self-control... It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? So, so if we're out of control, that should be an indicator that we need to press into the Lord more so the fruit of the Holy Spirit will work in our life and we can be in self. You're not going to just all of a sudden say, okay, self, be in control. If you haven't done it by now, you're not going to get control of it. And so it's, it's an indicator that you need to be more in tune with the Holy Spirit and, and having the influence of the Holy Spirit more dominant in your life. Now, now people will argue this away and they'll say, oh, well, you know, it's my heritage. I'm Irish, you know, or I'm whatever. And 
you know, some people will even just be so bold and say, hey, you know what, it's just my personality. People just have to deal with it. Well, this is the deal. If that's your personality, it's warped. So you need to deal with it. And the way you deal with it is through the Lord and, and pressing in to the Lord. And then selfish ambitions. We, we're called to be others-centered, not selfish, but selfless in our pursuits. Instead of concentrating on, on um, what others can do for God, we, we should be concentrating on what we can do for the Lord on their behalf. To not have selfish ambitions. Now, backbiting and whisperings, that talks about gossip. That's not a problem in the church today, right? So we can just skip it. <laughs> no, that's still a problem. Those whisperings that go on. You know, this is, this is the way you, you can stop gossip. When somebody comes to you and they start to tear down another person, all you have to do is say, you know what? Stop. I don't want to listen to this because I have to deal with this person and I don't want to have to filter it through what you're telling me. And if you tell them to stop, they'll stop. And enough people tell them to stop, they won't continue at all. And, and so that's, that's the way you stop it, is you stop it. And don't take it, even if it's that choice morsel, you know, that really cool thing that you can nail somebody with. Stop it. Gossip is a cancer in the life of a church. And, and so we, we have to be diligent in our own place in this to stop it. And then he talks about conceits, and we've talked enough about thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. Tumults, that's dishonoring the Lord with disorderly behavior. And, and so these are more of the social sins that can creep into the, the life of the church. But he also deals with some individual things, the sexual sin. Now, it's not the first time Paul deals with sexual sin for this church in Corinth. You you would expect him to make reference about these things for somebody outside the church, but remember, he's writing to a, a group of believers. And and here's the list. He says, uh, uncleanness uh, or uncleanliness. It's it's an impurity, and, and the word suggests that those who are are practicing perverted things. And, uh, and then he goes on into lewdness, and this is a, an eagerness for lustful pleasure, and it's probably uh, more pronounced in our society in the, the form of pornography. And, and, and I'll just tell you this, if, if, you know, if you're even near a computer today, then you have the potential of being drawn into pornography because it's just so prolific right now. And, you know, right on people's phones and, and such, you can, you can just get hammered with this stuff. So you, you need to be diligent to put safeguards in place to keep you from going there. Uh, Covenant Eye is a great program for your computer. Um, every computer in our church, all of our staff's personal computers have it on there, so they know what I look at, I know what they look at, and, and it just keeps everybody accountable. It keeps you from going there. And, and so we have to build the accountability into our own life because it's just so prolific right now in our society. But, but it's wrong. It's wrong. That's what Paul is saying here. Fornication, that's sexual immorality. And, and it simply stated means sex outside of marriage. And 
You know, I've been in ministry a long time, and I've heard just about every conceivable reason why people think that they should be okay in this area, living together before they get married, having sex together before they get married, uh, all, all kinds of reasons. You know, it's like, well, we're going to eventually be married, so we're just kind of getting ready for it. It's like, really? Come on. Let's be sensible about it. That's not even a good argument. Uh, others will say, you know what, we're married spiritually. It's like, well, what does that mean? It's like, get married. If you, if you want to be married, get married. But if not, don't pretend like you are because it's fornication. And Just read through the Scripture. Everywhere fornication is listed, there's never a positive thing about fornication. And, and so Paul confronts them about it. And, and so we can't even tamper with it a little bit. In fact, Paul told the Colossians this in Colossians 3. He said, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sins of diso- sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked, not currently should be walking, once walked when you lived in them. And, and so Paul says the, the best way to deal with sin in our life and and I love that he doesn't soft pedal it. He says, "Put it to death. Don't don't let it rain in your life any longer." In other words, make radical decisions about those things that would hinder you in your walk with Christ. The bottom line is, whenever we take our eyes off of the Lord and allow our lives to take the natural course, we're going to enter into sin. We're prone to sin. You are prone to sin. I am prone to sin. That means it comes natural to us. And and so if our life is unchecked and we're not pursuing the Lord, we are going to go into sin naturally. That's just what we do as people. And, And so Paul was writing so that he was hoping they would repent before he arrived in his visit. And he hinted here that, that finding the, the Corinthian church in disorder would, would mean more than his own humiliation. He, he would mourn over it. I mean, they would grieve his heart if they stubbornly refused to repent. How we need folks to be encouraged by these words, to press on in our faith. Not allow ourselves to be distracted by this world. Paul wanted so bad for them to grasp this. And as your pastor, I'm, I'm hoping that, that by communicating this, that you'll be able to grasp it and depressed toward Jesus. Our youngest daughter, Jackie, she's 33 now, but when she was 18, she uh, moved out of the house and, and became fully addicted to methamphetamine. Ran, ran the streets for two years. Um, we battled for her in prayer and and all that two years, and eventually when she was 20, a couple of my friends in Phelan arrested her, and she was facing some prison time for what she was doing. And I'd been talking to her about Teen Challenge for about a year at this point, and Teen Challenge, we, we have them come here once a year, and it's a, a, one, a one-year discipleship program for people who struggle with addiction. And... uh after she was arrested, she agreed to go to Teen Challenge. 
And uh, like I said, it's a year program. She went three months in Bakersfield to the induction center, and then the last nine months were in Ventura Women's Home. It was uh, uh, the final phase of it. And about six months into this year program, she was doing great. I mean, she gave her life to the Lord about the second week she was there and just radically changed. I mean, just the, the kind of transformation that as a parent you're hoping to see in your child. And and so um, she was doing amazing at this six-month point, and she had a day off, and they had this orange grove up above their dorm, and she decided she just wanted to go get an orange and enjoy some fruit, and, and she had some flip-flops on and was, you know, climbing up this hill. The the ones at the beginning had just green oranges and, you know, weren't ready to be picked. And, and so she's working her way up this hill in her flip-flops and it's kind of hard to climb. And she gets about halfway up because she's looking at the top and there's some really good-sized oranges up there. She gets about halfway up and she looks to the left and to the right and she sees an orange. And she thought, all right, I don't have to go to the top. And she went over and grabbed this orange, and as she picked it, she looked, and the whole top of the orange was pecked apart by birds. And so she threw it down, and she finished her way up the hill and got to the top and found this beautiful, delicious orange and sat on and she just And she wrote this to me in a letter when she was in the program, and, and she said, you know, the Lord just kind of spoke to me about my life at this point. You know, six months, she was doing great. And yet it was a year program. And there was so much more the Lord wanted to do in her life if she were to press forward. And and yet she started looking to the left and looking to the right and assumed that something would be okay. And it was all pecked apart and worthless. And she said, Dad, that's so descriptive of my life. God wants me to press into all that he has for me. And I was thinking about her story as it relates to, you know, Paul's heart for these Corinthians and my heart for us as a church. You know, so many times we look to the left, we look to the right, we're, you know, we're doing okay, and, and, and we get distracted by something that appears to be okay. And yet when we get it, it's just pecked apart and it's worthless. The Lord has so much good if we'll just keep pressing toward Him. The fruit that He can bring into our life is so much better. Jesus needs to be the focus of our life. There's only sin and destruction apart from Him. One last scripture. Paul said this to the Philippian church in Philippians 3, 12-14. He says, Not that I have already attained or have already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press forward to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Christian, be encouraged today. Press on, press forward to the things that God has in store for your life. Radically address any sin that that may be encumbering your life right now and then press into Him. He has so much good intended and so much fruit that He wants to bear 
in our lives. Don't, don't settle for something halfway there. Go for all that He has for you. Press your life into Him. Or maybe, maybe you came here and you're not a Christian yet, and all this sounds like, wow, I don't know. I don't know if I can do any of that. Well, the good news is that Jesus died for you. He died to set you free from the sin that has gripped your life. And as Paul preached this gospel message, I'll share it with you. This Jesus who died 2,000 years ago was the only one qualified to die for your sin. And the Bible says that if we will put our faith in him, if we will believe that he died as a perfect man and shed perfect blood, our sin can be washed away, can be forgiven. And, and it's really an acknowledgement of what God has already done on your behalf. I'm going to give you an opportunity here in just a moment to pray and to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin. Please don't leave here in the same condition that you came. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for just the, the power of your word and, and how it relates to life even today. Lord, we, we want to look at all that you have done to set us free from sin. And Lord, if there's any struggling with sin today that are in our midst, I pray, Lord, that you would break the chains. And Lord, that you'd give us that heart, to the desire to press into you and to, Lord, just continue pressing forward all the days of our Christian life, Lord. And Lord, I, I pray that the fruit that would come from that would be amazing, Lord. And Lord, if there's any among us that have, have never received that, that gift of salvation, I pray, Lord, today you would move upon their heart and draw them to yourself. And I just want to give you that opportunity right now to pray and to ask Jesus to be your Savior, to know today that your sin is forgiven. As Matt said earlier, there's salvation in no other name but Jesus. That's you. And you want to know today that you're saved. Put your hand up in the air so I can see it. I want to lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus. Anybody at all? Lord, again, what a, what a joy it is to know you and to be saved and to follow you with our lives, Lord. I pray that we'd be encouraged to do that as we leave this place, Lord. May you be glorified through our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.